I really hated the idea of doing chemo. I mean, I, I tried to think, is it just because I'm going to lose my hair? Is it just because I'm going to feel really sick and lousy? Is it, you know, and it was all of those things that was part of it. But there was also this idea in me that it made no sense to me that you would try to destroy the cancer by also destroying your body. As a vegan, do you ever feel like you're living in a parallel universe, aware of things that many others don't even seem to notice, let alone acknowledge? I'm Chrissy Benson, host of the Vegan Posse podcast. We talk with vegans from around the globe who, like you, are living lives of integrity and compassion with an eye toward justice through their personal stories. You'll come to see that you're not an outlier. In fact, you're part of an entire posse of individuals who aren't just keeping the peace, they're creating it through their food choices, and beyond. You won't be saddling up, but you're in for the ride of your life. Welcome to the Vegan Posse. Hey, Posse. It's me, your host, Chrissy Benson. If you love being part of the Vegan Posse, please take a moment to like this podcast, subscribe, and share it with your friends. We're soon going to be posting video versions of all our episodes, so stay tuned. And if you'd like to be a guest on The Vegan Posse or would like to suggest someone for the podcast, reach out to me through my website, christinemelaniebenson.com. Finally, if you haven't yet picked up a copy of The Anti-Romance Romance with the Vegan Twist, Marrying Myself, which has been featured in Veg News Magazine and on Chef AJ Live, it's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target, and everywhere books are sold. And don't forget to post a nice review. It really helps. Together, we can normalize veganism through the arts. Thanks, guys. And now, on to our episode with my friend and former Wisconsin cheesehead, Peggy Young. Today, the Vegan Posse welcomes Peggy Young. Peggy grew up in northern Wisconsin, where a picnic is not a picnic without hot dogs and hamburgers on the grill and a jelly mold of marshmallows for dessert. Becoming vegan was foreign territory. Peggy was diagnosed with stage 3 ovarian cancer in 2010 at the tender age of 53, far too young to say goodbye to her two daughters and her new husband. Her research reveals that a whole food, plant-based diet was her best bet for living to enjoy her later years. She tried it to see if it might affect her cancer in a positive way. Now, almost 14 years later, Peggy is still here and enjoying life at the age of 66. She loves her family and her vegetables, and she's moved into helping others change their lifestyles to optimize their lives. Peggy, welcome to the Vegan Posse. Are you ready for the ride of your life? Yes, I am. Thanks, Chrissy. <laughs> Great. So you grew up in Wisconsin. Oh, what, yeah. what was it like there? What kinds of foods did you eat growing up? Oh, interesting. Um, in I grew up in actually northern Wisconsin, the northern half of the Wisconsin, kind of right between where the deep woods of the north starts and Dairyland stops. I was right at that kind of border. And yeah, all of my relatives were farmers. I my family were not farmers, but um, I definitely spent a few summers on the farm. And yeah, <laughs> and the food there was, oh, very German uh, sausages and, of course, hamburgers. You, you, a picnic is not a picnic without something on the grill, you know, it, some kind of meat product on the grill. And of course, the men cooked on the grill. The women only cooked <laughs> in the kitchen. Yes. <laughs> Right, right, right. What was it like on the farms? Like what kind of farms did your relatives have? They were dairy farms. And I was always terrified of cows. They were big and loud and they terrified me. I walked down the aisle between, you know, between the rows of cows, you know, kind of huddling in the middle, hoping not to step on too much manure and hoping their big feet didn't kick me or, and then, oh, I worried about them sticking their slobbery tongues out and licking me. <laughs> it was terrifying. So I tried to stay out of the barn as much as possible. My, my jobs usually were in the kitchen cooking for the 
you know, hands that worked on the farm all summer. Yeah, that makes that makes sense. And of course, cows are really big. So that makes sense that you'd be intimidated by them and scared of them. And then not even enter into your frame of consciousness, like what their experience might be like. No, I no, I did not. I mean, we always, my family bought a side of beef to get cut up and put in the freezer. And that's, you know, part of the food that we ate every year until the next year came around when you got another side of beef or I don't know how much, but it filled up the freezer and we ate off of that and I never put it together that it was, well, I'm sure I did somewhere in my mind. I knew that it was those cows, but it wasn't something that I could really think about as a kid. It, it, you know, it was just too distant for me. Yeah. Sure. Sure. And did you guys have pets? We did. We always had a dog and sometimes stray dogs wandered into our property and we collected them as pets for a while until they ran off again. But yeah, we always had some kind of pet animal. We also had pet rabbits for a while and they were pets. We didn't eat them. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> they lived as pets and the dogs lived as pets. But yeah, I'm, I'm a true dog lover. I, I love dogs. Yeah. 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 Dogs are great. <laughs> They really are. They they really are man's man and women's best friends. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, although I, although I I think cats are up there as well. But yeah, a lot of people love cats. I I never grew that attached to cats. But when the years I was single, which were many years of my life, my my dog was my man in my life. Mm, yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. So <laughs> speaking of men. Did you, did you stay in Wisconsin? And is that where you met your husband? You know, I, this is my third marriage that I'm on right now. <laughs> yes, oh, I met two yeah. husbands in Wisconsin. Um, my second husband uh, ended up getting his PhD in Oklahoma. That's how I ended up in Oklahoma. Uh, I finished my law degree there in Oklahoma while he was in Oklahoma. That didn't work out either. So I escaped Oklahoma and ended up in Arizona. Yeah. Wait, so is that where you are now? Yeah, I'm in Arizona now. Oh, okay. I was thinking you were in Wisconsin still. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, long gone. Okay, that's I, the difference. I, Arizona, the whole, Wisconsin. Yeah. yeah. The whole time I was um, growing up, I was cold. I was just cold. I, and in summer was way, way too short. And I kept moving toward warmer and warmer climate, <laughs> thinking I would find home. And I got as hot as Tucson, Arizona. That seems just right for me. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I love, I love the weather in Arizona. Yeah, mm -hmm. I love it too. Yeah, um, you're in Tennessee right now, right? I am, I am. And I don't know if we've covered this, but I went to law school in Oklahoma. I saw that on your website. Yes, we have actually several things in common. Which is <laughs> we have a lot in common. <laughs> yeah, so there's Oklahoma. You wrote a book. I've just written a book. I it's yeah, I need an editor. That's what I'm looking for now. But um, yeah, someday I'll hope to publish it as well. So, right. Someday, not too far off is my recommendation. I hope so. I very much yeah. hope. So. Yeah. Well, we'll talk more about that. But as an adult, how was your general health as an adult eating how you were eating? You know, it couldn't be better. I truly believe in this. Um, no, I mean, I mean, previous, previous to. Oh, previous vegan. to be going yeah. vegan. Oh, it was not good. <laughs> um, I think um, I convinced myself I was a healthy person because, you know, I powered through so much in life and, you know, never took a sick day. I but I did, I was powering through and I think my body just gave up at a certain point. And I ended up, I was on a diet constantly and my diets were horrible diets. I remember mainly resorting to tuna fish in water and lettuce salads. And that I would just stay on this strict eat that only for a long time till I get to the weight I felt better at, and then I'd go off it and I'd bounce up and down and up and down. Yeah, it was, it's, it was a terrible situation for me weight wise. Right, right. It's so funny that you mentioned that because 
it's been so long since I've been in that diet mentality, but I do, for some reason, the image of the tuna fish and the, and the salad has brought me back to what it's like to live in that mind space. It's, it's awful. I'm so glad. Really awful. So you, you were struggling with weight. That was an issue. I, yeah, I was always struggling with weight and I normally kept it down. Um, it toward, you know, in my forties, it became more difficult. And in my fifties, even more difficult. And I met my husband, my final husband, the one that I love and adore. uh, We really got together and loved eating food together. We'd go out to restaurants and eat these two. And then my weight soared another notch, of course, because we were uh, eating not well, restaurant food, there is no restaurant food that you can actually eat at that is healthy. So yeah, we we had some troubles. And then of course, I got diagnosed with ovarian cancer and that put everything, drove everything to a halt. What, you know, what do you do from here? Yeah. Yeah. So tell me about that. You know, what, first of all, what prompted the diagnosis? Had you been feeling off and went to the doctor or was it just a regular checkup? With ovarian cancer, it's often difficult to detect, and that that usually by the time you're getting symptoms, it's really far along. And I was getting those kinds of bloating symptoms. I had gone to the doctor here in Tucson, and she had taken some blood tests, and she thought maybe I had just been on a cruise in the Caribbean, actually a sailboat. Um, excursion in the Caribbean. She thought I picked up some bug there. I was feeling really bloated and um, the blood test just didn't come back and didn't. And we had another trip planned to Vienna. So I kept calling her saying, should I go to Vienna or not? What is this? And she said, oh, go to Vienna. So it was, I finally went to Vienna and in Vienna, I blew up so badly. I ended up in the emergency room in the middle of the night. I just, you know, I couldn't make it one more minute longer because I was so bloated. I looked pregnant. It was really, I was distended. And at the emergency room, there was, they determined it was probably based on a tumor and the tumor had been producing this fluid that was just building up and building up and building up. And they drained oh, some enormous amount of fluid off of me, like six quarts of fluid or something, which relieved all of that oh, bloating, which was amazing. Yes. Yeah, so um, was they, it just your stomach that was bloated or was it your it, whole body? It was just in my stomach. It was all focused in my stomach. Yeah. So they could drain it off. And yes, and after that, when I came back to Tucson, I had it drained one other time. And I was in this facility that did nothing but drain fluid from cancer patients. That's all they did was a facility for that. And I was was just astonished that I I had no idea that this happened. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And so they told you you had this tumor. And what happened from there? So I they took images in Vienna. So I had the images, the blood tests, everything. I came back to Tucson. My doctor um, here immediately set me up with an oncologist and they set me up with surgery. And um, so I had a surgery to remove the tumor. And um, were you terrified or what was going oh, on in your head? You know, Cancer is the most, I, I don't know. I was so terrified of the C word even before I yeah. even got, you know, cancer or why I was dying. I assumed if I ever had a cancer diagnosis, I would not be able to survive the diagnosis. I mean, the image of bald heads and chemotherapy and the harsh treatments just freaked me out so badly. And Cancer is so mysterious because there's so many different types. There's so many different ways. There's so many different things that can possibly cause cancer. You have no idea what you're getting into with it or where you go from there. And so, yes, at first I was just in utter shock. I remember walking around Vienna with my daughter just in this state of this is unreal. You know, I can't believe 
this is going on that I'm diagnosed with this. At that time, it was just a tumor. Um, and I kept trying to convince myself it's not cancerous. It's not cancer. It can't be cancer. It can't be cancer. Um, but of course, when I came back to the United States, they determined, yes, it was cancer. Uh, and it was ovarian cancer, which also is a pretty nasty diagnosis because the percentages of people who die from ovarian cancer are really high. So mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's like getting a death sentence and you're just thinking how long and how terrible is the rest of this life going to be? Yeah. So what did they tell you about your prognosis? They didn't talk about my prognosis and my, you know, it's interesting because I think the cancer clinic is sort of like a little cancer factory. You get brought in, you get diagnosed, you get put on a protocol and for, and then you get put in the chemo chairs or the radiation <laughs> clinic, whichever one it is, they process you through, but they never really talk about your statistics. And I didn't ask because my feeling was if I knew what the statistics really were, I knew they weren't good. I had heard that over the grapevine, but if I really knew what they were, it would have freaked me out so badly that I, I couldn't have recovered. I needed to be able to think clearly of what to do and statistics would only make it worse. So I didn't know. Uh, it's later I discovered that they're, they're, you know, what they are about I think you have about a, I don't know. I can't even remember what they are now, Chrissy. It's been so long. <laughs> but yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and so what happened? They did the surgery, and did they talk to you about chemotherapy and radiation? Like, were you going to need to have all of those treatments that you think of when you hear cancer? I yes, they put me through. Well, they wanted to put me through the entire protocol. I had the surgery. Uh, while I was in the hospital, though, my husband, who is a research scientist by trade, uh, he got down and did research on cancer. And he didn't know what he was going to find. He honestly didn't know. But he kept coming across diet as one possible solution. One thing, one way to fight cancer was diet. And it, it came down to not eating meat, <laughs> essentially. I remember uh, he, I was home from the hospital from the surgery and he came home from work. He says, I've been researching this, honey. I've been researching it. We need to go vegetarian. And I looked at him and I thought for a minute and I thought, okay, I had done vegetarian once before in my life. I think I can do that. Okay, we're good. We're good. And it wasn't maybe a day or two later, he came home and said, no, we have to go vegan, whole food, <laughs> vegan. And I said, are you out of your freaking mind? I, I said, I'm a cheesehead from Wisconsin. There's no possible way I could go vegan. And uh, he, he, he convinced me. He said, you know, you can do anything for 30 days. Just do it for 30 days. And you see how you feel. And if you don't want to do it after 30 days, we'll stop. We'll do this together. We'll make it happen. And so I agreed because at that time, and just being back from surgery, the only thing I really wanted to eat was miso soup. I was eating miso soup for dinner, breakfast, lunch. That's the only thing I could really put down. So uh, we, we went vegan. Um, my doctor had set me up for um, chemotherapy. And I wanted to put that off. She didn't want to, but I got C. diff. I contracted C. diff in the hospital, which is a nasty infection. And she couldn't start me on chemo as long as I had C. diff. So I had to recover. And that took a couple of weeks to recover from. And then I convinced her I wasn't well enough still. So I put it off for the entire 30 days we were doing this plant-based and I couldn't believe the results that I got from going um, vegan, whole food, plant-based. It was incredible. My um, my cancer numbers, uh, which for ovarian cancers, it's a CA-125, went from over 700 down to the normal range. I was at the top of the normal range, which is 30. And in that 30 days, and I thought, 
if I got down to 30, my doctor would tell me, no, you don't need chemotherapy. You're in the normal range. You're fine. This is working. And she didn't say that. She said, no, we still need to do chemo. You might have, you know, some loose cancer cells still wandering around and we need to do chemo. And she set me up for the chemo and I did not want to do it. I really, I really hated the idea of doing chemo. I mean, I, I tried to think, is it just because I'm going to lose my hair? Is it just because I'm going to feel really sick and lousy? Is it, you know, and it was all of those things that was part of it. But there was also this idea in me that it made no sense to me that you would try to destroy the cancer by also destroying your body because chemo attacks indiscriminately. It'll kill off your own cells, which is why when you're in chemotherapy treatment, they want you to stay home, stay away from all germs. They don't want you to contract anything because your own self-defense system is completely broken down and you could die easily. So I didn't, I didn't, it just didn't make sense to me. But on the other hand, you have family and friends who all expect, well, this is a pro protocol. This is what the doctors say. They're the smart people. They went to school. They learned all of this. Uh, how, who am I to just say based on my you know, gut instincts that this isn't what I should be doing? So I did go to chemo. I sat through one round of chemo and it was so harsh on my body. I ended up in a wheelchair. Oh, how, how long does chemo take to do? Is it several hours that they do so, you know, an intravenous injection or something? Yeah. So the chemo lounge is this room that has these nice, you know, chairs that you can sit back in. They have blankets. They have sweet nurses. Everybody's all cheerful in there. And they bring these bags and they you have a port put in you. So for ovarian cancer, I had two ports, one in my chest and one in my stomach. And the port allows the chemo um, them to put it, they don't have to search for your vein with the needles, which they used to have to do in the old times. And that just, oh, I can't believe they did that. It was painful enough just puncturing my skin with those big needles, much less, you know, poking around for veins. So the ports helped. But um, so I sat for several hours, I think. It's, it's been 14 years now, so it's hard to remember, but in a chemo lounge chair where they pumped it into my chest, and then they sent me home with a fanny pack that where they pumped it into my belly also. So it was, and the most incredible thing about the fanny pack was they sent you home with this caution list about how poisonous this stuff is, that if it potentially falls out of the bag or gets loose from the bag or your injection site, then um, Mark, my husband, would have to put on this full gown, which they sent along with him with gloves and, you know, rubber booty things and to put this all on and then use these cleanup rags and then put the cleanup rags in these bags and the gown and everything else in these bags so that nobody touches any of this stuff. And this is what they're pumping into me. So yeah, it was it was crazy. And that pumping into me was pretty much the full night. And I go back in the morning, they took they took the bag. Oh, that sounds horrible to say the least. So it put you in a wheelchair. Why? Just because you were just too weak overall to walk? No, it gave me such severe and uh, neuropathy in my feet and my hands. I had, uh, I couldn't feel my feet at all by, by three days in after that chemo treatment. I couldn't feel, I couldn't walk stably because I couldn't, and putting pressure on my feet was so painful that there was just, it was just no way I could, moving from the bed to the bathroom took me, you know, 20 minutes <laughs> to get wow. there. It was just so hard. And this is just one course of chemo. How yeah. many, how many treatments did they anticipate you? I think need? I was supposed to need eight courses of that. Eight. Oh my goodness. Yeah. 
But I quit, of course. My thought was, you know, the vegan whole food plant-based diet was working there. This is insane. This is nuts. And so I quit the chemo after that one round and my neuropathy has almost fully recovered and it, it continues to keep getting better, even though they said not to expect it to get better after the first year. It, it just keeps getting, and I think I attribute that to the diet too. I, I really believe do. it. So is neuropathy a common side effect of chemo? It is. It's a very common side effect. And I think it affects some people more than others. I kind of looked at it as my, you know, while it was so bad, while it was happening, I, I feel kind of blessed. I got it because it was my excuse out of there. Now I could, you know, that that worry that all my friends and family were going to accuse me of horrors if I quit, not, not, you know, my wish to die was like, okay, I substantiated this, this is bad stuff. I don't need to do this anymore. Wow. Yeah. And have you told your doctor about your diet change? Oh, yes. She, uh, it was interesting when I told her, I said, well, I've been doing this whole foods plant-based and it seems to be working. I mean, if you look at my numbers, because she had come into the office saying, wow, we don't see this very often. I love coming in here and telling you these things. This is a, a success story. And I said, well, I've been doing this whole food plant-based diet. And she actually took her chair and turned it around and started looking at her computer. She had no interest in hearing or seeing yeah. any of that it was well it was 14 years ago now is 20 2010 oh. which is almost 14 years yeah so when you made this diet change you just went from non-vegan or I guess you were briefly vegetarian maybe for a day <laughs> and then, I, and I tried vegetarian for back in in college I had tried being vegetarian for a year I had gone to an ethics course in college. And uh, I, I was just horror. That's when the horror of what happens to animals was really made clear to me. And that's when I thought, no, I can't legitimately do this. And I managed to do it for a year. And the, the, it was back in the eighties, there was just no structure in Wisconsin for being <laughs> even a vegetarian at that time. And it, it just became too difficult and too socially awkward for me to do it. Um, and I think it's still very socially awkward. To, I mean, now I'm vegan, which is even more socially awkward. But there, but, you know, I have my husband, my girls, uh, you know, I have my little community of people who do it with me. And then you know, I had a husband who was trying it with me, but we both were not in in a in a way committed enough to make it work then. So yeah, when my husband this time came home and said, let's let's go vegetarian. And I said, yeah, why not? That lasted a day or two. And I was just eating miso soup anyway. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I was vegan already, essentially. Yeah. Right. So how was it making that transition just on a practical level? Did you, how did you figure out what to eat? You know, at the time I was still really sick, you yeah. know, coming home from that kind of surgery is a major surgery and then having C. diff and then having the chemotherapy wreck the rest of my body. Uh, it took me several months to be able to even, I mean, and I couldn't even think clearly because I got surgery brain then I got chemo brain oh, that sounds <laughs> I, awful. I, I couldn't you know my sentence structures completely deteriorated to three words at most and oh. if I had beyond three words I'd forget what I was talking about yeah I was a mess so my husband took over the cooking and he got really creative in the kitchen and just loved it. And in fact, to this day, he's the primary cook in the house because he decided he loves cooking and <laughs> I, I love eating. So, <laughs> and I love the fact that there's no dieting, you know, there's just yeah. no dieting anymore. We just eat food. That's good for you. And <laughs> right, right. And do that. And, we, you know, we've learned along the way, different things and he's really um spent a lot of time watching to sh you know chef aj shows on cooking this and that uh -huh. and 
um, the Asselsteins. He likes to watch them on cooking shows. So he finds interesting things to eat. And to me, it's fantastic. I think also going into it from just eating miso soup, and that's the only thing I could tolerate, to eating um, you know, more interesting things, it just was a natural flow for me. So I didn't have to break seriously bad habits. They'd already been broken. In fact, in the hospital, they wouldn't allow me to eat for, I was essentially fasting for 10 days because I couldn't eat before the surgery. After the surgery, I had to wait to recover enough to have another surgery to put the ports in. Then I had to recover from that. So by the time they brought me my hospital food, I thought I would love it. They they brought in the stuff I you know, would normally just gobble up like eggs and sausage and coffee. And the whole thing just was so horrible. I couldn't touch it. I mean, the coffee just, uh, the sauce, the sauce, all that grease and, you know, after yeah. being, you know, clean essentially by not eating for 10 days, I was, yeah, eating that kind of food was beyond belief awful. Yeah. And of course, the fact that that's the sort of food they're serving in a hospital to people just coming out of surgery is mind blowing. <laughs> Isn't it? Isn't it yeah. great? Yeah. I yeah. hope that's changed. 14 years no, later. no, it hasn't changed. Chrissy, I was just in the hospital because I had an infection, a serious infection in my finger. And the food was so beyond awful. I mean, my husband, of course, brought me food three times a day because there, but my, my daughter said, I caught a look at that food and it's not good. And I went down to their cafeteria to look at it. It was filled with this the breakfast aisle was all that junky sugary cereals the um they had candy they had a whole like this big tube that went up almost to the ceiling filled with candy that you could just pull cranks and get candy out of and they had a whole bar of candy bars they did have one vegan sushi on one day the second day I wandered down the vegan sushi was gone <laughs> so all you know and it was fries and burgers and corn dogs and pizza they had a salad bar but every day I went down to check the salad bar was closed <laughs> <laughs> zero things in the salad bar so wow. yeah, not any better at the hospital wow so when you do when you told the doctors or when the doctors told you that continued chemo was was not going to work did they talk to you at that point about your future plans or your future health like what what was the atmosphere in which all of this was happening yeah I my doctor thought I was making a mistake uh she respected my decision she let me have it she knew she could see by my determination this was just not going to happen she explained that she would be open for business if i ever changed my mind and i continued to go to this oncologist for checkups uh you know to get my ca125 results and make sure that you know the cancer was still at bay for quite a few years before, you know, I just stopped going to her as well. So yeah, <laughs> lately I've I've been back with a different oncologist um, because my CA-125 has been going up a little bit and it hasn't, I mean, for, for 10 years, it was stable. The last three years, it's not as stable. I also found out I have a BRCA gene mutation, which means that uh, I'm more susceptible to getting cancer, probably why I contracted ovarian cancer, a lot of the reason in the first place, and which means I probably shouldn't be alive right now. So this, wow. you know, I, I really credit the whole food plant-based diet for saving me this far. And I'm hoping I get several more years out of it. Yes. More than that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So several more decades. Oh, um, so over, over those 14 years. So what, how did your eating evolve? And, you know, did you ever, were you ever tempted to eat just a little bit of, you know, animal product or, you know, whatever small amount you thought you might be able to get away with? Or were you just completely over that chapter of your life? No, it evolved tremendously. Um, initially, I didn't know that 
oil also was is not a health food. <laughs> there is no reason to put oil in your food at all, it turns out. And so we eventually um, went to a um, Dr. McDougal seminar here in Tucson. And we went up to Dr. McDougal with his book to get it signed. And I said, you know, we're still carrying an extra like 10 pounds of weight or 15 that we shouldn't. And he looked at us without asking any questions or anything and said, you got to cut out the oil. <laughs> so how, how long was this after your cancer experience? This was maybe two years after. Oh, okay. So yes, I've gotten your what is the number CA CA125 CA125 so you had gotten your CA125 down eating oil yeah even with the okay. oil in the diet which I find interesting that even putting the oil in didn't stop the CA125 from going down I think um, at this point, given that I'm older and, you know, your body just doesn't do as well on, on fighting things when, as you, as you age, I'm, you know, 66 years old now that the oil maybe is a more important issue. I, I think, you know, it probably is helpful that I cut out the oil way back when. So, and the other thing, Chrissy, that I had was this addiction to cheese and, <laughs> So Whole Foods would have these trays with little cubes of cheese on them for display and you could test the different flavors. And I think when I went into Whole Foods, oh, it's not a problem. I can just eat this one little cube of cheese and it won't hurt anything. But what it did was it made me aware that Whole Foods had these trays of cheese and I could go to Whole Foods and get a little cube. And so, you know, I did the grocery shopping. I went to Whole Foods. I ate the little cube of cheese. And then I'd think about the little cube of cheese all week until I could go back grocery shopping again. And I realized I had to cut it out. It was, a, it was an addiction that if I wanted to quit thinking about the little cubes of cheese, I had to go cold turkey. It was, yeah, there, it's, it was one of those foods that I, it, I just can't do. Mm -hmm. Along um, with cookies, <laughs> <laughs> which they, cookies, cookies and um, donuts have crept in randomly. I found the same experience with them. Eat one, and it will haunt you for months. <laughs> months, really? Wow. Yes. So you went to this McDougal ceremony. First of all, how did you discover John McDougal, the you know, plant-based doctor? That. That I attribute also to my husband, to the research scientist. You know, he just kept on researching this stuff. He came across McDougal, True North, Dr. Greger, all of these um, amazing resources. And we discovered that we need an injection of resources regularly in order to stay the course because. Uh -huh so easy to fall off into cheese and donuts and cookies. <laughs> you know, we need to have a repeat experience of no, you just can't do it. And also Dr. Lyle with his book, um, what is it called? The Pleasure, the Pleasure Trap, which really made a lot of sense to me. All these foods are serious pleasure trap foods for me. Yeah. Right. And how about the animal piece? Have animals entered into your frame of consciousness at this point? You know, it's interesting that when back when I was in college and I went vegan, animals were really a part of that whole thing. And now I found that not by eating this clean way of eating, it was not only good for all of these animals, but good for the environment, the climate. It it's good on so many levels. My health. I mean, there's just so this one thing is just so encompassing of everything that was going on in my life that I wanted to be better. So I that made me just that was icing on my cake. You know, <laughs> it was real nice icing to put on my cake. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, so what was your reaction when Dr. McDougall told you, gave you this news about oil? Oh, both my husband and I looked at each other and said, you know, 
didn't we read that in his book? I mean, <laughs> around and how did we not get this piece? And I think what it was is that we were just so used to cooking with oil, this concept of you can cook without oil. It just, we couldn't comprehend it. You know, it just, it made, we just didn't go there because it was, and it was one of those, you know, final things that we needed to take out, but yeah. Yes. And how was it doing that? Was it tough? It wasn't difficult at all. It turned out it was a lot easier than cheese and cookies and donuts. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, the oil didn't seem to act. And now if there's some, if I eat something at say a potluck or something and someone's put oil in it, I can tell it just, it feels greasy. It doesn't feel right. So it's an adaptive. I've realized it's really an adaptive kind of, quality that oil has that you're either adapted to it or against it and you can adapt you can change your ad adaptation to it just by changing it and food doesn't really make that much difference besides that greasiness yeah right right so what was your like physiological response when you cut out the oil did you, another did 10 change? 15 pounds down yeah wow wow, wow. yeah and how about your husband same thing. He lost thing. his weight too. Yeah. Yeah. And how had his health been this whole time? He, he has always struggled with high blood pressure and trying to bring that down and going whole foods, plant-based vegan for most people just eliminates the problem of blood pressure for him. It was a little more difficult. He, he brought it down a huge, a huge ways. He was on very high doses of medication to artificially lower it and that worried him because there's side effects to those medications and they're not good for you so that worried him a lot i remember um before this whole cancer thing uh he calling me from work and telling me you have to come get me and take me to the emergency room i think i'm having a heart attack i did get him take him to the emergency room they determined no he wasn't but that's how worried he was about how high his blood pressure was, his weight was out of control. And now his weight has totally normalized. He's a skinny guy, in fact, now. <laughs> and, and his blood pressure came way down. He needed a couple stints at True North, though, to get it really within the mark where he wanted it to be, uh, the fasting center, True North. So, yeah. Yeah. So does he still do most of the cooking? He said he still is the cook in the family. He does. Yeah, yeah that's great. <laughs> I, know. I keep waiting for the other shoe to drop and I'll be back in the kitchen, but so far so good. So right, yay. right. Um, so you ended up becoming a star McDougaler. Tell <laughs> us about that. <laughs> Uh, well, that was one of Mark and I's idea to, you know, go get a new injection of some, you know, some some good information. And McDougal, Dr. McDougal was having one of his weekend seminars for McDougalers. And I went and they announced from stage, if you want to tell your story, go, you know, go see this person in this room. And I, I did. I tracked him down. I said, you can tell my story. So I got on his show. Well, actually, I just sat in a chair and spit out my whole story to him. And <laughs> and he put it together in a really nice little um, video that anyone can see on, on the Star McDougalers. Yeah. Yeah, we'll include that in the show notes. How was that for you, telling your story that way? You know, it's it was great because I think I feel mostly that when I tell my story to people, I get two responses. One is people who are think it's incredible and wonderful and wow, I wish I could do that. Uh, and the other is incredulib incredulibly, I don't even know that word. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, who think that they don't believe it? Yeah, they don't believe it. It's bogus. You know, it had to be that one shot of chemo that did it for you. It was a surgery. It wasn't the diet. And even though I'm now, you know, 50 pounds less than I was then, my health is way better. I look way better. My brains think better. Everything's better about me. You know, that you know, that's just mm, I don't know. We don't believe it any of it so you get that 
I get that a lot. And so being a star McDougler was kind of fun because I know I was speaking to a particular audience that, okay. that, that could hear it. Yeah. Yeah. So what about your immediate friends and family when you made this change and it had such a great impact on your health? How did that affect how they ate or still ate? Yeah. Or did it? Or did it? (laughs) If for some it did and some it didn't, my my daughters both went whole food plant-based vegan immediately. I mean, they saw firsthand how it worked for me. And so they are they your husband's daughters? No, they're they're just mine. They're just mine. Yeah. His he has he also has three kids, and um, of the three of them, one kind of buys into it. The rest are mm, no. They're Indiana, uh-huh, <laughs> Indiana. Uh-huh. You know, it's regular meat and potatoes over there, and it's, right. it just makes sense to them that that worked. And they they didn't live with me and watch all the results and what happened either. So there is that. Then um, my sister has always been a food conscious person. So I think, and my mom, my mom bought into it for at least a while she did. And she's always been a food conscious person as well. She she went Weight Watchers when she was in her early forties and really tried hard. I think she has the same struggles against um, diet, you know, food and diet that I do. And she liked the idea, but I don't think she went 100%, but she did, she did try and she's, you know, 90 years old now and still doing well. So yeah, (laughs) that that was part of it. Don't. Um, So how, how are you feeling these days? You know, I feel fantastic. I always have this this fear that, you know, the cancer is coming back and my numbers are fluctuating now, which heightens that fear a bit. Um, But I also realized that the doctors really aren't, can't do much for cancer. They really can't. There's some things they can do, but mostly the treatments are not as effective as anyone would like them to be. We still have a war on cancer. So I, my war on cancer, if there is such a thing, is the whole food plant-based diet and sticking to a really clean diet. And if if the cancer does come back, if my body can't fight it anymore, um, if the whole food plant-based diet doesn't work, then I don't know that there's many options, you know, there. So I'm already doing everything I can. And the idea that for these past 14 years, I've been doing everything I can feels good to me because handing yourself over to the doctors is, is really doing, you can't do anything. I mean, it's not you curing yourself. It's the doctors, you know, relying on doctors to cure you. And so often it doesn't work. I mean, diabetes, heart disease, you're just on meds for the rest of your life with cancer. You know, you're in treatment for the rest of your life, some type of treatment. And this isn't the harsh chemical treatment. This is treating my body well and feeling good. You know, it's such a different way to fight this disease. That's a great way of putting it. Yeah. Fighting it through things that support your body rather than things that poison and toxify your body like the chemo. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. So how has being vegan affected your relationships with your family and your friends? And, you know, they know now that when we come to visit, we bring a cooler (laughs) (laughs) of food and, you know, that we don't go out to eat and, you know, we don't do those kinds of things, but, you know, they, they tolerate us. My brother, (laughs) a few years ago, um, he's, he's very overweight. He had a, triple bypass surgery or some, you know, for his heart, he had a heart attack, he was in the hospital. And he said, you know, he, he, I think he tried actually, maybe for a day (laughs) to do this, but he couldn't, I mean, uh, he, and he doesn't have, you know, I have this wonderful husband who's doing it with me. He has a wife, but I, you know, I don't imagine that he um, got her to do that 
with him. He doesn't have a community of people. He lives way in northern Wisconsin. Everybody is putting your sausages and steaks on the Barbie, and that's what you do. So um, I can see why um, they didn't do it. Um, my thought with my you know relatives who are unhealthy because of their eating style is, I love them more now because I won't have them as long. And that's the way that is. That's so sad. That must be hard for you to watch. It is. I, I don't like seeing it. I especially don't like seeing young kids eating the stuff, especially the kind of stuff. My daughter now works at a high school teaching um, photography. And she says there's a whole room dedicated to donuts and cupcakes and Every event, they have cookies and candy bars and all kinds of, you know, junk food for these kids. It's just, right. crazy. it's crazy. Yeah. Right. I know. I worry about my nephews who are in their early 20s, but their their father died of a heart attack at age 49. So wow. it's just, they don't have genetics in their favor on that. Right on that side of the family and that that food that they serve at school you know it's so hyper addictive the candy bars right. and donuts. it's you know and you're addicting kids at a young age and then it's normalized in your 20s you just that's I know what was normalized for me by then and it wasn't as bad as it is now yeah right right, right. so how has being vegan affected how you see the world in general you know, I find myself a lot more um, against the mainstream, <laughs> you know, I, I figure, okay, if the health system is as messy as it is and doesn't work as well as I thought it did, what else is as messy as that and doesn't really work as, and you know, there, when you start looking into it, you start to realize, oh, there's a whole different angle of looking at the world out there than I've been looking at it. And um, I, I find myself frustrated. I, you know, I, I find myself not being able to open my mouth. I tend to be this very agreeable, wanting to get along, being part of my tribe kind of person. And I hear things coming out of people's mouths that I think, you know, there's a whole nother side of this that you might not be looking at. But can I say that without being shunted out of the tribe? I don't know. And that's frustrating for me. But yeah, so it's it's being it's it it really has put me outside the tribe in a lot of ways. And in some ways, I'm looking for for that tribe, because I think as humans, we need a tribe. We need to have that connection with other people who you, you can say these kinds of things to and they get what you're saying as opposed to um, dismissing you as a nutcase, yes. <laughs> Agreed, yeah. Well, now you've got a posse. <laughs> yes, yay. <laughs> um, so I'm curious, how, how has being vegan, you know, affected just your sense of your place in the world? I feel actually more connected to the world in a way because of being vegan. Um, I feel connected to plants, you know, to them being my nourishment and that that's, that's healthy. I feel connected to animals because I'm not eating them. I was me and my husband were driving by a um, ribs place where we used to stop and eat every now and then on a you know special occasion. And I said to him, can you imagine how many carcasses go into that place every day? Just carcasses. And we used to participate in that. And, you know, it's just it just wakes me up to a different kind of view of the world. And that that's not necessary. This we have hyper processed animals and it's so unnecessary. So unnecessary. Yeah. And not only unnecessary, but causing so many of our chronic Western diseases. Absolutely. For, for me, that took it to just a new level of unconscionability. Like not only is it not necessary for our survival, but it's 
telling us to consume those things. So, Absolutely. Yeah, it really is. So Peggy, what's your best advice for brand new vegans or people contemplating making the vegan leap? Um, okay, that's that's an interesting question. Um, I would say research it, research it, because the more you look at the research, the more you realize just how health promoting this is for you and the planet. You also research the different recipes and learn how to cook because you can't do it without cooking. You have to cook and, you know, decide to take cooking as a, not as a chore, but as a, an experience, as a new experience in, and take eating as a new experience and look at it as a, well, both, it is a challenge in a way, but it's also inviting adventure. There's a lot of adventure in it. So keep it open to adventure. That's great advice. And what do you wish you'd known when you first went vegan? I wish I had known these health consequences much earlier, much, much earlier. And I think, I think that, and the whole global input of being um, plant-based uh, as opposed to animal-based in any way, just the whole global connection to it and how, well, how good it makes you feel. I mean, just how healthy and vibrant and alive and mentally capable. Yeah. Yeah. And not to think of, have to think about going on a diet, <laughs> like those diets, even yeah. now it's just funny. Like, again, just your mention of that image of, of going on a diet it's so funny how people have this idea that they can change how they eat for a certain limited period of time and then lose weight forever. <laughs> like it just doesn't, doesn't make sense. You know? it, it made no sense. And the whole struggle against weight is, I think women have it more than men because it's just not acceptable to be overweight as a woman in, in the way it is with a man, but just that, that struggle, that constant struggle with weight. And to, I had no idea you could just give that up and forget right. about it. I, right. I, saw, right. I saw an interesting um, photo on Forks Over Knives. Somebody was holding this postcard that said, today is so odd in that eating healthy is considered being on a diet. <laughs> right. Yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, I remember years ago, it was around New Year's time and just in passing, asking one of my coworkers, like, oh, do you have any New Year's resolutions? And she just shrugged. She's like, well, the usual, you know, eat, lose weight, get in shape. You know, and I just remember having this wave of gratitude, like, oh, right. I don't live there anymore. I don't live in that world where that's the constant chronic goal that, you know, that no one ever achieves. Exactly. Yeah. That's it. yeah. Just like the metal medical system handing out drugs for diabetes or heart disease, the constant goal right. that's never achieved. Right. Right. Um, so what are you working on now? And tell us, tell us about this book of yours. Ah, so I am writing, well, I've, I've written one book about my early experiences of coming of age and divorce and raising kids on my own and all of that. But right now I'm working on a book about my cancer experience. So I'm, I'm hoping to get that one out next year too. So. Oh, that's fantastic. How far along are you? And do you have a um, estimated date? I have it written. I just need an editor. So <laughs> I, I would like somebody to give it a good edit. So I, I have a friend who, who is an editor, but he can't get to it till spring. So we'll see. We'll see what happens with it. Okay. And how was it? How was it writing that book? You know, I enjoy writing. I have this writing group that we get together once a week and it forces me actually to write something every week to present to writing group, which keeps, and I love the writing group. I love the camaraderie and I, I love being able to put something together. I'm, I'm a memoirist. I, I know you write fiction, which to me is, 
is incredible that you could come up with a story in your mind. All my stories are based in some kind of reality. You know, there's probably, you know, my own reality is somewhat fictionalized just because my brain works the way it is, but it's based in my fiction, <laughs> not just made up like yours. So I'm, I'm going to ask you, how do you write fiction? What do you think of that? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, it varies. Sometimes an idea comes to me or sometimes I just sit down to start writing without an idea in mind and things just happen. So it can happen a lot of different ways, but a lot of it is inspired by real life events or real life people. Yeah. So I, I think we all have it in us to do because, you know, we're all, we all have imaginations and we all have creativity. So I think, I think we can all do it. And also like, like you sort of mentioned, even our so-called non-fictional reality really is, you know, fictional in many ways because it's just our, our recreation of what's happening, which who's to say there's any, you know, real objective basis for it. So right, I don't right. think it's too different, but was it, was it healing for you or was it painful for you, you know, kind of reliving that whole experience? I think both of the books I wrote, I needed to write. Uh, I needed the first one just to make sense of, you know, I was going so fast through life. Uh, yeah. the, my first marriage didn't work. It was just not a good placement for me at all. I had to leave, but then I had a child to leave with. Second marriage worked really well, but then he wasn't faithful and that didn't work for me. So I had to leave that one. And then I had two children. <laughs> In tow. And so for most of my life, I've had children in tow and no, no man to support. And I had to make sense of why that all happened. And with, I think the same thing with the cancer journey that I had to writing it, it you know, while it is my, my fiction and my story, <laughs> it, it was mine. It was my reality, my reality for me. And I needed to work through what exactly went on in my brain to make me do what I did. And I think writing is clarifying in that way. It, it, it makes, you know, these random errant thoughts kind of pull together and come out in one consistent uh, way that shows how the direction, what the direction of my life took at that time. And interesting. Yeah. So do you feel that you understand yourself better for having written yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Whether anybody else can or not, I don't know. But yes, for me, yeah. it was that way. Yeah. Yeah. And were you able to draw some logic or meaning from it all? Yes. Um, well, certainly with the first book, I, and, and I'm running, I'm, I'm actually starting a third book <laughs> based, based in how feminism also played into all of those kinds of decisions I made through that first part of my book, which, you know, some for the good and some not so for the good. So it was interesting. It, feminism, well, how did it play in if you can give us, you know, the, the well, just, version? I'm just now starting that one. So I've only written a chapter, so I'm not very far along. So my, my, my formed thoughts are not actually there yet, but I'm hoping that by the end of the book, they'll be there. That we'll sounds see. fascinating. Yeah. Do, were you a staunch feminist? Like, was that a big part of your it, consciousness? It was, it was a part of my consciousness. Early in college, I took feminist classes and I learned the whole feminist dictate and, um, and, and actually as a kid, you know, in Northern Wisconsin, that's where it started because my brothers were treated so differently than me. And I always considered myself much above them, <laughs> but they were treated above me and which really annoyed the, annoyed me, you know, the, the chores were split. I got to do the housework, the dishes, the ironing, the darning, the, you know, all of the cleaning and they got to take out the garbage and mow the lawn in the summer. Now in the summer, the lawn gets mowed at least once a week. So it can be a bit of a chore, <laughs> but it doesn't seem to compare. So I was always frustrated with that dichotomy. And so in that way, the, the feminist movement really drew me in and in other ways, it drew me in um, 
in ways I probably didn't help me. So, yeah. Interesting. And have you read some of the vegan feminist literature, like the sexual politics of meat by Carol Adams or any of those? Oh, that would be really interesting to read. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting literature on this subject because, of course, animal agriculture is a complete abomination of the feminine because we, we breed the animals, we, you know, take their eggs and we, you know, hijack their reproductive systems all for our own right. so-called food. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I'll have to check that book out. Yes, 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 definitely. Um, all right, Peggy. Well, it's been amazing hearing your story. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. Congratulations on how far you've come and congratulations on all these exciting new ventures that you've got. I, I love, I love that, that life is just uh, continued unfolding adventure <laughs> and that's how it's been for me and I can tell that's how it is for you so it's it's really cool to see so my final question for you which I ask all my guests is whether there's a particular word that for you sums up what being vegan is all about well I'm gonna take it straight out of your mouth and say adventure I love that <laughs> love it yes yes I love it too that's great yeah you want to say a little more about that it, it's an adventure in living and living your life to your fullest I think yeah yeah right really. right yeah I feel that way too I feel that way too I'm very grateful I wish I had found it sooner but I'm so grateful I found it at, at all because a lot of people don't absolutely absolutely there are many times I've I looked at my husband and said, thank God I got cancer. Otherwise we would have never gone down this road, this adventure in life. And it's, it's been really eye-opening and good for us in so many ways. Amazing. And thank you yeah. Chrissy, for doing this show. This is, this is fantastic that you do this. Thank you. I, I feel that way too. So thank you. I feel, feel lucky to chat with you and other people on this path. Uh, because it is amazing. You know, I, I initially went into it reluctantly, not wanting to go vegan, not excited about it, thinking that it was going to shut down my world and make it sort of tiny and small. And instead, the polar opposite happened. You know, my life just opened up, my food opened up, and I discovered all these new uh, foods and ways of thinking and living. So yeah, I'm with you. And, and I haven't heard that answer before. So I love that. I love that answer, adventure. Yeah. All right. You. Well, um, thank you again. We close every episode by taking 30 seconds of silence for all the suffering animals, human and non-human, who desire, as we all do, safety, happiness, and the freedom to live out their lives without interference. So Peggy, I invite you to join me in 30 seconds of silence for the animals, and we'll conclude with the sound of the bell. Thank you, Peggy, and thank you, Posse. See you next time. Until then, stay strong and stay true. Thank you.